and welcome back to the podcast, Let's Talk Disability. So in today's episode, I'm going to be doing something a little bit different. I'm going to be talking to Aaron. Now, Aaron is another podcaster who also creates content for autism, dyspraxia, and a range of disabilities. Now, in this episode, me and Aaron are going to be having a discussion, just a little bit of a chit chat, talking about life, talking about growing up with autism and dyspraxia, and talking about our differences. Now, I think Aaron is going to pose his podcast all in one go. However, for me, the podcast was an hour and a half long. So I've decided to post it in three parts. Monday, which is today at nine o'clock, Wednesday at nine o'clock and Friday at nine o'clock. Now, this will all be this week, so make sure to check your calendar, make sure to write it in your schedule. I will be doing reminders on my social medias about this, but yes, so I hope you enjoy the podcast. Podcast is going to start off with Aaron introducing himself to my audience, and on his podcast, I'll be introducing myself to his audience, so I hope you enjoy. All right, so... I'm uh, Aaron and uh, dyspraxic and autistic and I say well informed myself feels and yeah that's a little bit about me uh, as I make this podcast called New Rainbow Cast which will be able to watch it on like uh, Facebook watch and YouTube as well as things on most uh, podcasting platforms that interview people about their neurodivergent lives and stories. So do you want to start by, as I say, you've got dyspraxia and autism, and do you want to start by saying, as I say, you can make you be clumsy as a typical definition of dyspraxia. But do you want to see how it affects you? So dyspraxia, I feel like autism affects me a little bit more than dyspraxia does. With dyspraxia, it mainly like affects me with depth perception. So for example, crossing the road, I, I have no clue how far away a car is. So I'll probably like be at the side of the road for ages until the road is like clear. Even like throwing a ball like I'm not like too good at gauging like how fast it's coming and then I'm like clumsy with the way and when I'm eating food I'll probably get like down me I'll bump into walls without seeing them that's what I did a lot when I was younger that was like one of the main factors that got me on the road to diagnosis where I was bumping into stuff and I I wasn't really good at writing like I couldn't like hold a pen quite well yeah it's like as you're saying it's like like stuff like uh, you know, fine and what's the other uh, fine motor skills and yeah, the other I can't remember the other like ha- you know like hard motor skills or whatever they call it. Yeah, those type of things do definitely affect me. As I say, like with the handwriting, that's something that for myself, you know, I d- have different writing styles, and you know, uh, like sometimes uh, like as in uh, that terms of the motor skills, that tends to be something that affects me with. Uh, I'll say, like, I haven't, still haven't learned to tie my shoelaces, but as you say, with, uh, like, deficit perception, that's something that definitely affected by in terms of, I'll say, aging, you know, uh, like, distance between cars or between cars are turning. And it's something that, I guess, would make, like, if we were to learn how to drive, that can make that quite difficult. And it does impact 
on the day-to-day life and day-to-day doing of independent tasks. Yeah, definitely. I think especially with driving, driving is something that I've pondered on the idea of whether I want to drive or not, but I've decided I'm not going to drive mainly because I don't think it's safe. Yeah, because I like I think it's like that thing of with driving, you got to focus on so many different things at once and it's like learning how to do it so in uh, different ways because you know like you gotta learn all you know how to multitask really and it does take a lot from your brain energy as you say but it's like that I guess it's one thing with having autism and dyspraxia as well you know like with the sensory processing of your environment and the things around you then I can make driving lot difficult in terms of like navigating deaf perception and coordination and stuff like that yeah I think definitely like with we're driving with the dyspraxia I've got like the coordination and the depth perception on that when with the autism I get overwhelmed very easy and I have to have things one at a time it's like not a great mixture well so learn how to drive it's like something that I think with like Definitely, like, I have challenges with visual processing, as I said, uh, you know, like, a depth processing, hand-eye quality, something. But, like, like with, like, sometimes when you get, like, sensory overload by, like, you know, like, visual stuff and, like, light, and sometimes that can be quite difficult thing to get some process. So, as you're saying, like, you got the challenges when you cross the road. But, like, sometimes I find if you got, like, the bright lights as there is when you're driving, you know, off other cars on the roads or, you know, like, other signs of, like, bright lights, you know, like, illuminated billboards and, you know, soft signs when you're in, like, as well when it's getting darker. It's something that I definitely find for myself, like, sensitive to. As you were saying, then, with your dyspraxia, though, you're, as I said, your autism is something that affects you more and you feel like your dyspraxia affects you less. And But, like, we were chatting before this, you know, we did have a little, little bit of a planning meeting ahead of doing this interview. And one of the things you said that, you know, your dyspraxia diagnosis came before your, you know, uh, autism dis- diagnosis and your autism yeah. diagnosis you know, came a lot later. And so, like, for the listeners who uh, might, or viewers, who might have, might not know as much about yourself as from when they got introduction to you. So when was it that you got diagnosed with dyspraxia and autism? And what was, like, the thing where you found, like, though you, as I say, that autism affects you more, but... How do you think, how do you find, like, the traits different in terms of, like, more visible to, like, somebody who could recognise dyspraxia to autism? So I think, I think personally my autism was very visible as a child. It's just people weren't educated on what to look out for. It was like a lack of education why I think I didn't get diagnosed. But I think it was very obvious my autism as a child but I got diagnosed with dyspraxia when I was seven so that was mainly through like being 
I think when I first went into reception, the reception teachers were like, something's different about Athena. She's bumping into walls. She's not really communicating with her peer group. She can't write a name. She can't tie it. She can't do her shoelaces. She can't ride a bike. Like something's a little bit different. And they they were like, why don't you go to like some, why why don't we like refer you to like to a GP, to doctors, see if we can do some tests. And they came back straight away as dyspraxia. And I don't think autism like was thought about because I didn't give eye contact, but I was also very shy. So you can put, you, you can put, um, not give an eye contact to shyness, can't you? Like a little bit in like, little kids. Yeah. I think like as I said, though you thought your autism was visible, but I think sometimes, I guess for uh, an autistic person who gets diagnosed, and finds out they are autistic. I think sometimes there's it can be a bit more visible to say the neurodivergent person as to the holistic person, the yeah. person without autism, who might not know as much about autism, but something that I say you would like to assume that teachers would be able to notice signs and traits of autism. You know, as 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 much as dyspraxia, like I say, like as when we were discussing about this, I said uh, the other day that I was diagnosed like after some leads to you about like six or seven, and yes, it's those things of when it's doing like practical tasks, as like struggling with tying shoelaces and like handwriting, being big, big and sloppy, and like I guess. Sometimes issues with tracing things or, like, I guess, you know, like, colouring within the lines and, you know, like, I guess, like, using, like, finding ways of using pen to paper and, you know, like, struggling with, like, whether it's, like, certain drawing things and the grips of how to do things. And I guess, I I think it's when, like, people can see visually, visibly struggling with what... I guess the standard development things are, I guess that's a bit more visible to somebody, like if you're struggling to tie your shoelaces at an age where normally people are typically tying their shoelaces at. As we were talking about, uh, you like when you was in school, you know, like you wasn't diagnosed and it's only like last year in October you got, got diagnosed but as I said, when you was in school, you know, you pop even looking back more in hindsight, now getting diagnosed at the age you are, you thought that your autism was vis- uh, visible. But, you know, you said that only like somebody thought you may be autistic at the age of 17. Do you think it's more visible in hindsight? And do you think that since, since it was neurotypical, Assuming, do you think that you might have not seen those traits before, you know, in yourself? When I was seven, I think looking back at age 17, when someone said to me that they thought I might be autistic, looking back, it was obvious the traits. But at the same time, I was uh, so uneducated on what autism was. All the media representation was saying autism, where it was it wasn't cracked it was saying that 
people with autism are very need support to, and maybe they were nonverbal or maybe they were this or maybe they were that. Yeah. And that's all I could really find for representation at the time. So I thought, I was like, that's not me. I can't be autistic. But obviously looking in deeper and doing some more research, I realised that it's a spectrum. But the representation and the education at the time honestly made me think that I wasn't autistic. So there wouldn't be, do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, I guess it's more to do to the, you know, I guess it was le- less visible in terms of that there was much lack of education and awareness within society on it that, as I say, caused a bit of a, you know, mid-hard for you to realise you're autistic because that kind of lack of representation and, I guess, ingrained, like, internalised ableism within the society's representation of autism. Yeah, definitely. It's, yeah. You know, like, I'd diagnose 10. Like, it, for me, like, it did have that ingrained internalised ableism, though, I guess, probably because, like, even though, like, in the world at one point, I was, like, an autistic person in my class and people in school, you know, like, I guess you never knew how to come out and talk to them about being autistic. So, and so when he was in school in terms of, like, dyspraxia, you know, what what was, like, you know, being dyspraxic in school in terms of re- you were able to tell your peers about it and have conversations with them about being dyspraxic or is it something you were more hid from everyone? Well, I think I did about a 50-50. I had a one-to-one through high school, like in every single lesson, apart from PA, in every single lesson from year seven to year 11, even in primary school, I did half a day with the one-to-one and half a day with the normal class. Uh, well, not the normal class, the class. <laughs> some people I told I had dyspraxia, some people I didn't tell, but they knew they knew there was something because I had a one-to-one. But I feel like if it if it affected me in any way, then I would say. But it was like, I don't know, it was just one of them things where if I was close to you, I would tell you. If I wasn't close to you, if you knew, you knew I didn't really care. Well, I think I wish I had a bit more of that carefree attitude when I was in school because, like, I think I think in, when I was in school, I had that thing of, like, in terms of, like, inside myself, like, I'm asking thing, like, whatever you do, like, don't tell anyone that you, like, you know, would have your chance to that kind of, like, ingrained struggle of not knowing how to talk about it. Because, like yourself, I had access to that, like, a learning support assistant on, like, what was then called, like, a statement of, like, why sport you can have in lessons that I had when it was in secondary school and but like and some like I found sometimes it was like that's the thing like I guess I never knew quite how to talk to talk about it for uh, secondary school until I was in sixth form but like it's like with in sixth form I remember only reason why I kind of end up telling people because like like one point like you know, like an atlas, and I used to get like so messy with the, you know, like painted, like sometimes I end up getting on my clothes or like even it on my 
hair like I know yeah like in Vimpunk like how like how somebody was saying like how would you so clumsy and then they, like I felt I end up saying oh sparks cannot so yeah there is something that I guess yeah it's hard to know when how to talk about it then I guess you just you know regard people and thinking that I guess there was like a newer divergent condition but it's like something you didn't really talk to or educate people about yeah I think definitely when I was younger I I had the approach of if I thought they were going to treat me different to everyone else uh, then I would not tell them yeah and I think as you again you were saying like when you said about like that lack of autism representation or lack of neurodivergent representation and I mean uh, they were you know, neurodivergent conditions, then it's that thing that can make you, I say that, you know, when you talk about on your podcast, uh, there's stuff around, you know, your neurodivergent conditions of autism, dyspraxia, you mentioned, like, with anxiety, but, like, sometimes there's that anxiety then about how to disclose, you know, a a neurodivergent condition and, I guess, the reaction of the people and, Oh, like you would think that people might see you as different if you opened up. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like the way we remember at a point in school, like I had, a, you know, like somebody in my class who also happened to be dyspraxic, like, but they didn't have like uh, so much like uh, support to the, when, uh, like uh, the learning support assistant as I did. But it's like I, I remember a point in a lesson that he and uh, explain about his dyspraxia someone but even in that moment he struggled to open up and speak about it so I hope you enjoyed part one of the podcast and just a reminder part two and three will be coming on Wednesday at nine o'clock that's for part two and part three will be coming on Friday also at nine o'clock and this is just because the podcast as a whole was about an hour and a half long and I thought it'd be nice just to split it up into little sections so I really hope you enjoyed this podcast and stay tuned for part two and three coming up later on this week because it's going to be absolutely amazing it was a blast recording with Aaron and I really hope you're enjoying it so far so I'll see you next week make sure to subscribe to this podcast I'd love it if you'd let me know what you're loving about it follow me on Instagram Facebook both at life through dyspraxia and yeah I'll see you on Wednesday for part two of the podcast See ya, bye.